Good evening. I am David Schneiderman, Associate Dean of the Faculty, Professor of English, and Director of the Center for Chicago Programs here at Lake Forest College. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Lake Forest College and my great honor to present the second of two 10th District Democratic Congressional Voter Fora, co-sponsored by Lake Forest College and the Illinois 10th District Democrats, better known as 10th Dems. I hear sporadic clapping for 10th Dems. We had the pleasure of partnering with 10th Dems on a forum with Brad Schneider on January 27th, and tonight we will welcome his primary opponent, Highland Park Mayor Nancy Rotering. In a few moments, a representative from 10th Dems will speak about their organization, but first, I want to make a few announcements and offer a short introduction for the event tonight. Let me begin with the announcements. Lake Forest College events are free and open to the public. We welcome you to visit with us again for our community events, many of which are listed on a brochure that I think is in the back over by Jenny Larson. Jenny, would you raise your hand real quick? Great, okay. Also back there is a, well, it's this brochure and it has our community events on the back. If you live nearby, you probably got it in the mail. It also lists all the interesting stuff happening here during summer. We have a lot of different summer offerings at the college. They fall into three main groups, summer courses, community offerings in our By the Lake program, and camps and conferences. We have a very popular tech camp. We also have a Bard College affiliated writing and thinking workshop for high school students that can live here for two weeks, do all sorts of cool things. We have everything from the regular run-in-the-mill calculus to really interesting things like the chemistry of art and a novel writing boot camp. All of these things are available, and you can find out more info on the brochure. We also have community programs. I mentioned one, Writing by the Lake. We have Baseball by the Lake, Cinema by the Lake. Come watch the films of Billy Wilder and Alfred Hitchcock. These are non-credit courses, easy to get into. If you're interested in talking to the Rotary campaign about volunteer opportunities, you can find Daniel. Would you raise your hand, Daniel? Are you here? There in the back. Or anyone else who is with the campaign, and they can direct you in, in the right way for that. Uh, tonight's event depends upon many people. I want to thank our partners at 10th Dems, particularly Lauren Beth Gash, Bonnie Berger-Neal, and Barbara Altman. I also want to thank the many people who have assisted here at Lake Forest College, particularly the Chair of Politics, Siobhan Maroney. You'll hear more about her in a little while. I also extend thanks to the aforementioned Jenny Larson, Assistant Director for the Center for Chicago Programs, who mightily handled this evening's logistics. Thanks also to Rick Cohen and our public safety staff for providing safety services this evening and to David Levinson and LIT for arranging for the live stream. You can watch it at home and then you can watch it again and again, like a binging Netflix sort of thing. We also are thanks to many more people as well, and also, of course, to you for joining us tonight. In a moment, I want to welcome Barbara Altman, Managing Vice Chair of the 10th Dems, to tell you about our organization. Once she finishes, I will return to the podium to introduce the structure for tonight's event. So please join me in welcoming Barbara Altman. to a good start. Thank you all for coming out on this cold night. It's warming to me to see you all here. Um, I, as Davis said, I'm Managing Vice Chair of 10th Dems. I also edit the 10th Dems newsletter, the 10th News. If you were really lucky, you're sitting on one of our recent editions. If you're not lucky enough to be sitting on one, please pick one up from the back table. I don't need a microphone. Everyone can hear me, right? For the live stream. Oh, okay, sorry about that. Okay, I'm standing here behind. 10th Dems, as most of you know, is a grassroots political organization. 
Our primary goal, our, our goal is to elect Democrats to all offices within the 10th Congressional District, from the President, to County Board, to Water Reclamation District. If it is an elective office, we want it to be held by a Democrat. And we especially want our 10th District seat to be held by a Democrat. That's why we have been so pleased to partner with Lake Forest College to sponsor these, to organize and sponsor these forums. Um, many of you, I see faces, heard Brad Schneider two weeks ago, and now you'll have the opportunity to hear Nancy Rotering, and you will know what I already know, which is that we have two excellent candidates. You will have a decision to make March 15th. Early voting starts February 29th. Please do vote. And then when it's all over, please join 10th Dems in uniting behind the successful candidate so that we can defeat the Republican incumbent and bring the seat back to the Democrats. Um, one of the fun things about this forum is that we are partnering with a college because 10th Dems, of course, has its own college, 10th Dems University. We even have a seal. Uh, it doesn't have acorns on it, but it does have a Latin motto. Can you read the Latin motto? I can read the Latin motto. <laughs> or I could if I were able to step away from the microphone, but I know it. It is studemos, laboremos, and vincimos, which is probably the worst Latin you've ever heard, but it means we study, we work, and we win. So, um, before I'm finished, I do want to introduce um, the uh, 10th Dems officers who are here tonight. Uh, the, our co-chair, Bonnie Berger-Neal of Grays Lake Wildwood, and our founding chair, Lauren Beth Gash from Highland Park. And not here tonight is our other co-chair, Marguerite Hampton from Northbrook. So, last thing, please, for volunteers and to tell you about our internships and upcoming events very quickly. If you're a student, if you know a student, we have 10th uh, Dance has internships. Uh, there are applications and information at the back table. The opportunities are spectacular, especially in an election year. Opportunities to volunteer with 10th Dems to help out candidates at all, uh, at all levels. Um, in addition, I want to tell you that we have uh, an upcoming uh, Super Tuesday watch party. Those of you who were at our um, Iowa caucuses watch party, uh, know what a wonderful venue we had for that event. It was a lot of fun. Super Tuesday should be super, and we're going to be at the same private home in Bannockburn. Um, if we don't have a sign-up at the back desk, we'll make one for you if you're interested. And 10th um, Dems events, that event, like most 10th Dems events, is free. And in addition, we're going to um, plan on a date and at a location to be announced a unity event after the primary. So with that, I will get out of the way for the program you all came here for. Thank you.
Thank you, Barbara. And I'm particularly glad that you translated the Latin motto because I was, you know, looking at it before and I thought it was like skip class, get drunk. I couldn't, couldn't quite figure out what it said. Yeah, right. Oh, I understand. Okay. The forum is going to begin in a few minutes with a short statement, introduction from Nancy Rotering, and then proceed in two parts. The first part will last approximately 25 minutes and will feature questions asked by our two expert faculty moderators, Siobhan Maroney, whom I previously mentioned, and Associate Professor of Politics, Jim Marquardt. Professor Marquardt will ask questions about foreign policy and global issues, and Professor Maroney will ask questions about domestic issues. Let me introduce them, and you can see if they blush. Siobhan Maroney is an Associate Professor of Politics and a resident of the 10th District since 1993. Her courses cover the subfields of political theory and American politics, while her previous scholarship covered early American educational thought, more recent scholarship has involved the intersection of American home design and familial relationships. Jim Marquardt is Associate Professor of Politics and Chair of the International Relations Program at Lake Forest College. He holds a PhD in Political Science from the University of Chicago, a member of the Lake Forest College faculty since 2002. Jim has published a book and articles on contemporary U.S. foreign policy. He is currently researching a book on the politics of openness and transparency in American foreign policy under President Obama. The second part of the forum will be questions from the audience, and this will last no more than 30 minutes. I'll introduce that format before we begin the second part of the program. Afterward, we're going to conclude with a small reception where you may speak with the candidate. It's right across the breezeway in the next room. I want to make a few uh, small logistical announcements. First, please turn off your cell phones if you haven't done so already. Silence, airplane mode, whatever it is one do. Uh, second, we're not allowing recording of the event. Instead, it's being live streamed. You can watch it from home. You can watch it later. But we're asking that you do not record tonight while we're here. It will be distracting to the proceedings. Also, we ask that you be respectful of our candidates, their time, and the mission of Lake Forest College. Our mission statement says, in part, quote, we encourage students to read critically, reason analytically, communicate persuasively, and above all, to think for themselves, end quote. We expect all questioners tonight to comport themselves in a manner that respects our more than 150 years of operation as an institution of higher learning. As audience members, we may not always like what we hear, and we are free to disagree, but we hold ourselves to high standards of ethical communication. We thank our guests for their help in further modeling those behaviors for our students. Lake Forest College also endorses neither candidate in this race and simply wants to provide a space for discussion. Accordingly, I am now going to read verbatim an introduction submitted by the Rotaring Campaign. We want you to hear how the candidate describes herself but this should not in any way be construed as political speech by the college. Nancy Rotering is the first woman mayor of Highland Park. As a lifelong Democrat, Nancy has been a leader in inclusive government, making sure that every resident has a voice. As a two-term mayor, Nancy enacted tough reforms, balanced five consecutive budgets, and maintained a AAA bond rating for her city, something only a handful of Illinois municipalities have done. Nancy passed one of the nation's only local assault weapon bans and fought the NRA all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. She founded a community legal aid clinic and held ComEd accountable to improve electrical service in the 10th district. Nancy is a longtime and active member of the League of Women Voters, um, JACPAC. I'm not sure what that is. What is JACPAC? Okay, personal pack and the Sierra Club. Nancy has been recognized for her leadership locally and nationally. She was honored as the 2013 Rotary Humanitarian of the Year. In 2014, today's Chicago woman named Nancy to their 100 Women of Inspiration, and she was named to the 40 over 40 list in Forbes. 
Nancy grew up and attended public school in Highland Park. After earning her undergraduate degree in economics from Stanford and an MBA from Northwestern, Nancy worked in finance at General Motors before attending the University of Chicago Law School. She specialized in healthcare law, practicing with McDermott, Will, and Emery before leaving to raise her four sons with her husband, Rob, and devoting her time to public service. Thank you for suffering through my long introductory comments. You are clearly people used to political discourse. To get started, Mayor Rotering, we're going to invite her up, we're going to welcome her, and we're going to ask her to make her opening remarks. And after that, I will step in and we'll begin the questioning. So please join me in welcoming Man uh, Mayor Nancy Rotering. Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for coming out this evening. It's, uh, it's wonderful to have the chance to chat with you, and I hope we have a good conversation. Uh, thank you, Davis, for the introduction. Lake Forest College, appreciate your time tonight, and 10th Dams, go 10th Dams. Uh, why are we here? We're here because this is a seat that matters. We're here because this is a district that was drawn to be held by a Democrat, won by 8%, and the seat has gone back and forth and back and forth. And at some point, you need to say, is this representative of our values? Is this person who is our representative in Congress representing the things that we hold dear, the things that really matter to us? So what you heard earlier was a little bit about my background. I have a private sector background in business and in law, and I've had the opportunity to serve in elected office for over seven years. And the reason why I ran for elected office in the first place was because I was hearing from the people of Highland Park that they weren't being represented correctly, that they weren't understanding how decisions were being made, that there was a lack of transparency. You talked earlier about transparency, Davis. That's one of the values that I hold dear, and it's something that matters to all of us. We want to understand why certain decisions are being made, or in the case of Congress, not being made, why certain things aren't being addressed. These are things that are important to each of us in our daily lives, and it's important to have an advocate who understands those values, who fights for those values, representing you in Washington. So that's why I'm running. I'm running because in my heart and in all of our hearts, we know that we aren't being represented by the right person. We know that there are huge opportunities in this district, and for those of you who maybe haven't memorized the map of the 10th district, let's go over the boundaries. It's basically Winnetka up to Wisconsin, Lake Michigan out to Fox Lake. We scoop up a bit of Arlington Heights and Dust Plains, and if you think about that district, there are so many opportunities with the right leadership to really have an impact on the people who live here. We have extreme wealth and we have extreme poverty. We have farms, we have manufacturing, we have military bases, we have Lake Michigan. We have a whole slew of children who need to be educated. We have a lot of people who travel on our roads and spend an unbelievable amount of time just sitting in traffic congestion. We have people who need to go to the hospital and can't get to the doctor. There are so many needs that haven't been addressed. I'm offering myself, my background, private sector and public sector, and also a desire to take on the status quo. When I ran for city council, I ran against three incumbents who ran as a slate and had the mayor as their campaign manager. I came in first place. And then two years later, I challenged the status quo again and ran for mayor and was able to become the first woman mayor of Highland Park. And then, you know what happened? There were huge storms that summer, 2011, and we all remember what happened. Our power went out repeatedly, and ComEd would send us a text that said, 
crew on the way for four days. And we would wonder, when is the crew ever going to come? And I said, enough is enough. This is crazy. We need to hold ComEd accountable. And so we held hearings in Highland Park. We demanded that ComEd come up and stand before the Illinois House of Representatives. We had a committee that questioned them. And at the end of the day, over tens of millions of dollars were invested in our infrastructure. And we got better communications. And now, yeah, the power goes out a few times. We live in the Midwest. But the text says we'll be there in two hours, not in four days. That's taking charge. That's standing up to special interests, to the powers that be, and saying, we're not going to take this anymore. And then we had another opportunity in 2013 when Illinois passed their concealed carry law and gave municipalities a 10-day window to pass an assault weapons ban. And the first thing we heard was, well, you're going to get sued by the NRA. This is going to be expensive. This is something you maybe shouldn't be thinking about doing. Why should we be the tip of the sword? But Newtown had just happened. And all of us remember those horrible pictures of children being led across the playground. And I asked my city council, and we all agreed. We needed to take action, and we voted to ban assault weapons. And yes, we got sued. Luckily, the Brady campaign stepped in and provided us with pro bono legal services. And we fought the NRA, first to district court, and we prevailed. And then to the circuit court, and we prevailed. And then they took us to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, we're not going to hear this action. The statute stands. And the next day, we got calls from all over the country of people saying, send us your model ordinance. We now have a new national standard that constitutionally says assault weapons can be banned. Again, difficult challenge. When you check with your heart, when you check with your gut, when you know that it's right, you step up and you take that tough fight. And so that's why I'm running to be your next congressman here in the 10th District. We've got a lot of opportunity here, but we haven't had the leadership to make the change come. And so that's my plan to step up and to be that change. Thanks so much. And now we begin part one with the questions. <laughs> I'm having moot court flashbacks, so let's go. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for coming this evening, Mayor. Um, I'm going to be asking some questions about uh, foreign policy. Okay. And um, I'm going to ask you a question. I'll let you respond, and then I'd like to have a follow-up if I might. Okay. All right. Great. So, um, as we all know, uh, the United Nations recently announced that Iran has completed the necessary steps to restrict its uh, nuclear programs, which has resulted in the lifting of sanctions, which have been imposed on it over the past 10 years or so. Iran has placed over 13,000 centrifuges in storage. It's exported 98% of its low-enriched uranium to Russia, and it has removed the core of the Iraq heavy water nuclear reactor. In doing so, Iran has undermined, at least for the foreseeable future, its ability to obtain the necessary fissile material to develop nuclear weapons. You uh, came out in support of the Obama administration's uh, negotiations. Yep. Uh, your opponent uh, opposed that. Um, why do you support it? Um, when the deal was proposed, I read everything I could get my hands on. I read the deal. I talked to members of Congress. I talked to members of the Senate. I talked to friends in Israel um, and really analyzed it and looked at what the options were. And so at the end of the day, we had two options. We had do nothing, which we knew would lead to likely breakout in one to two months, or accept this not perfect deal, but opportunity to at least have some way of monitoring and controlling Iran's ability to gain access to nuclear weapons. Um, let's be clear. These are not our friends. 
we cannot trust them. And so we need to be absolutely steely-eyed in keeping an eye on what's happening in Iran, making sure that whatever they're doing is being kept within the aegis of the global community's views and, and the JCPOA. So in terms of moving forward, uh, we've seen the benefit of the deal to an extent. We've also seen some concerning action, and so we need to continue to monitor and to take whatever necessary action there is as a global community to rein them in if they start to cheat or misbehave. Um, it's a scary premise to think that uh, the option was do nothing or do this, and at the end of the day, for people to say there was another better deal to be had, was not really what was another option. There was no third option. So to me, it made more sense to gain this access, to have this opportunity to monitor and to control Iran, to start to move down this path of diminishing their access to nuclear weapons, and of course, to remain ever vigilant as we move forward. And so to that end, people will say, well, you know, where does this get us? It gets us at least farther from breakout, farther from one to two months towards breakout. Okay, thank you. Um, you mentioned a main concern of those who oppose the agreement, and indeed those who do support the agreement, which is the possibility of uh, limited verification. Right. Um, the problem that many of the opponents speak of is that uh, when the United States first um, learned of a major Iranian uranium enrichment program. This information didn't come from the U.S. intelligence community, but rather came from Iranian dissidents. So in effect, uh, U.S. intelligence missed it. The fear is, of course, that we could miss it again and that Iran could at some point in time reveal that it has either developed that fissile material or is well advanced in its abilities to do so. I know it's hard to speculate, but in the event, if there are concerns about verification, uh, serious concerns, um, what would be the appropriate American response? The appropriate American response would be to coordinate with the global allies and to talk about a global approach to pressure um, Iran to cooperate. Uh, we are seeing some concerning behavior from Iran, and I think it's critical that the United States not be the only ones held accountable, but the P5 plus one and so forth move forward in a concerted effort to take action to rein in Iran. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. By most measures, the American economy has approved in the last couple of years. We know that unemployment is down, housing sales are increasing, the Fed is raising interest rates. But in many ways, Americans don't feel this improvement because wages are stagnant. And this has especially affected working and middle class families. What is one thing that you would do to get household incomes up? And I'm going to ask you to please be both brief and specific. <laughs> I would have to say there are two things even though you asked for only one. So I hope it's okay that I give you two. But one is uh, provide necessary incentives to um, keep corporations here, keep jobs here, and, and continue to develop those jobs that are necessary across a broad spectrum of skill sets. Uh, the other answer would be to increase the minimum wage. We know that here in Lake County, 81% of SNAP recipients have at least one person working full-time in their home. What that says is they're working full-time and they're not making enough to take care of their families. So I think it's important that we look at increasing minimum wage and moving forward and, and bringing people back to a place where they can afford to take care of their families. How could you increase businesses in District 10 or prevent businesses from leaving? Well, if you look at um, 
This is a complex question, so I'm gonna give you kind of a complex answer, and that's not within the brief realm that you gave me, so I'm gonna go a little longer. <laughs> but in terms of um, keeping companies here, we need to have the right incentives in place. If you look at corporate inversions, for example, let's use um, Johnson Controls as an example. Um, the tax incentives were there for them to leave. I think our corporate tax code desperately is in need of reform. It's complex, it has the wrong um, incentives for corporations to stay put. It provides all kinds of deductions and loopholes that aren't supporting uh, the American economy. And so at the end of the day, we all end up bearing the burden of covering the cost of running the country while corporations are leaving. As they leave, they take those jobs. Uh, that's something that I think we really need to place as a priority. It's something that we need to focus in on, and it's something that will then bring those jobs back. You need to have more incentives for manufacturing in particular, because those are the jobs I think that are more impactful for the middle class. But corporations in general just don't have the right incentives right now to stay put, and that's a, a very clear bipartisan area that we need to take action. So I'd like to stay into the area of the Middle East. Okay. Um, so since the 1967 war between Israel and the Arab states, uh, Israel has occupied the West Bank. Uh, today, the West Bank, which covers an area slightly larger than the U.S. state of Delaware, is home to about 3.2 million people. 2.8 million are Palestinians, and about 400,000 are uh, Jewish. Um, what is your position on a Palestinian state? And do you believe that a Palestinian state should if it should exist, should be consistent with the 1967 border. So I think what we need to look at, first of all, I do support a two-state solution. I think that's absolutely critical to the future existence of Israel as a democracy and a Jewish state. Um, I believe that we know from history, when people don't have rights, when they aren't able to provide for their families, they get desperate, they act desperately, and we end up with war or worse, terrorism. Um, in terms of the lines, I think we need to look at the 67 lines, but we need to include land swaps. I think there's an opportunity to have a better way of apportioning the land. Uh, the settlements are definitely a problem, and as they continue to grow, that opportunity of getting to a two-state solution diminishes. And so we need to look at that line with land swaps. All right. Uh, and a follow-up. Um, some in the United States believe that U.S. aid to Israel um, directly or indirectly is being used to support settlements that the U.S. does not actually recognize as being legitimate. Um, if these settlements continue and you're a member of Congress, would you support some kind of penalty against Israel, namely a reduction in our U.S. economic aid to Israel as a kind of a punishment or an incentive for them to stop supporting the building of settlements that we don't support as a country? I would not. Um, I think it's vitally important that we assure Israel that we are as committed a partner as we could possibly be. Uh, the place where that shows up obviously the most is in terms of maintaining Israel's qualitative military edge. I think there are other ways to work possibly through diplomacy or through other incentives to change the approach as far as settlements are concerned. But at the end of the day, I think it's important for everybody to realize Israel is its own country. And there are certain things within the uh, internal operations of a country that are that country's to decide. And it's not for us to come in as big brother and say, you must be changing this because we have deemed it so. Thank you. If you're elected to the House, uh, it will likely still be controlled by a Republican majority. And that majority has already tried to repeal the Affordable Health Care Act 
multiple times. Right. I think they did so again in the last week. Right. Um, but the Affordable Health Care Act has in some ways been problematic and somewhat difficult to defend. Uh, health care costs have not come down as much as anticipated and many people with health care insurance still find it hard to pay because of high deductibles. Senator Sanders supports a single-payer plan. Secretary Clinton proposes to preserve and improve the Affordable Health Care Act. What's your assessment of this and what would you do to bring health care costs down? So I think it's important to let everybody know that access to health care has been my passion for probably 30 years. I've worked um, on the provider side, I've worked on the payer side, I've worked on the policy side, I've worked on the legal side. To me, it's critically important that everybody have access to health care. It makes it possible for people to go to work go to school, take care of their families, be part of the community. Access to health care for all is something that I would absolutely strive to work towards. Um, granted, the current Affordable Care Act has had its challenges, there's no question, but frankly, I think we need to look at where we need to smooth out the edges and, and make sure that people are getting the care that they need. Uh, dental care is something that's desperately been missing and is vitally important. Uh, there was an unbelievable blog uh, talking about why a 12-year-old died. And the 12-year-old didn't die because of where he lived. He didn't die because of the neighborhood he was living in. He died because he had a tooth abscess that had infected his brain and he hadn't been able to get the right medical care. Things like that shouldn't happen in our country. There's no reason for anybody to not have access to primary care. And if you look forward, once you have primary care, the costs going forward diminish. If you're somebody who's got a chronic illness and you're able to get that chronic illness managed and taken care of, then later on in life, you're not gonna have the complications or you'll have fewer complications. That's one of the things that we can do to diminish costs more in the long term. In terms of the short term, we need to look at really incentivizing, and this is starting but it's not quite gotten full uh, grip, is incentivizing outcomes as opposed to volumes of procedures, getting rid of fee-for-service payment and making sure that it's more premised on how people's outcomes are. Is grandma leaving the hospital and not coming back in two weeks or whatever the case may be? So there are opportunities to improve the plan. Uh, another way to improve it is to provide incentives for the red states who currently are not expanding Medicaid to expand Medicaid, again, getting back to that need to make sure that everybody has access to primary care. So the question, do I support a, a single payer plan? At the moment, we have this plan and 18 million more people now have health care than have had it in the past. I think we need to work through this program. I'd be very reluctant, as you mentioned, in a Republican-controlled Congress uh, to open up that can of worms again and say, fingers crossed, let's now try for another plan. We fought very hard to get this one approved. I think we need to work with the plan that we have. Back to foreign policy. Okay. Although this kind of uh, divides foreign policy and domestic policy. Okay. So uh, last December in Paris, the United States, along with many other countries, right. agreed to a new climate agreement. This uh, agreement includes developed countries and developing countries. Uh, all these countries have committed to reductions in the greenhouse gases. Now, uh, what are those several policy proposals that you would endorse as our representative for the United States to reach its target of 24 to 26% reductions in greenhouse gases? below the 2005 level by the, year 2030, uh, by the year 2030. So what would you support in terms of specific proposals to meet our target? Sure. 
Um, you know, there are a couple of options that people talk about. Most of them are, are market related. There's a carbon tax, which is a price control. There's cap and trade, which is more of a quantity control. Um, and both of those have their pluses and their minuses. Uh, you need to have the flexibility, I feel, that comes with market mechanisms. Um, but what also needs to be said as we move forward in dealing with global climate change is a recognition of hotspots, and there are hotspots within the 10th district. We know that in Waukegan in particular, with the Superfund site and the pollution and the water and so forth, um, that there are very clear areas where even if you have these kinds of mechanisms in place, people, and it's mostly people um, of lower income, are forced to be exposed to toxins at far greater levels than the rest of the country. And so while it's important to use, I believe, market mechanisms to, um, to control emissions, I think we also need to be cognizant of these hot spots and know that maybe something a little stronger needs to be put in place. A follow-up question. Um, would you support wind turbines off the coast of Highland Park or any other North Shore community? So I sat on a uh, state committee looking at wind turbines, and you cannot imagine how many different constituencies are involved with Lake Michigan and wind turbines. So first off, let me say, of course, I support renewable energy sources. I think it's terrific. We sure know it's windy out there. Uh, but if you talk to the commercial fishermen, they have one view. If you talk to the sailors and the other boaters, they have another view. I mean, it goes on and on and on from there. So I do think that there are great opportunities for wind energy. I do feel that we would have to talk to all those constituencies again. What came from that committee? Not much. People just sort of talked about it, and then at the end of the day, they didn't come to any real conclusion. But I do think wind energy obviously needs to be invested in. I'm not sure if off of Lake Michigan is the right place, but it sure seems like there are a lot of people with opinions who would like to be part of that conversation. Thank you. So we're on a college campus. And the people in this room know firsthand how expensive it is to uh, provide a college education. I have two your, children in college. I know that story very well. <laughs> or, or, or your children. Uh, what, uh, but, but a college degree is more important than ever. Right. Uh, what can Congress and the federal government do to make college more affordable and available? Um, okay, so as somebody who washed dishes in college and uh, took out loans for law school at 18%, which I still can't even believe somebody allowed to happen, um, I am very well aware of this issue. And there are a couple of things that can be done. One is to, um, to start off your college career at community college. Make those first two years available, make them free. Give people that, that step up if that's something that's helpful to get them through to four-year college. Um, allowing people to consolidate their loans at, at diminished rates, my gosh, 18% down to even, you know, six would be an unbelievable gain to somebody trying to start their life after college. Um, Lake County, um, the College of Lake County does a wonderful thing. They require every student to go through debt counseling before they're allowed to borrow any money. And it helps the kids to understand what is the burden they're undertaking and how to best find a way to have that debt at the lowest rate possible. Um, but I think those are sort of the beginnings of making sure that Private entities really aren't making a buck off of our students. It has to be a priority of this government to say that college is affordable. Beyond that, I think it's also important for us to incentivize other post-secondary school for everybody, maybe four-year colleges and for everybody, and so to provide vocational training availability as well, or community colleges I mentioned earlier. So did you say that you think that community college should be free? Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd love to follow up on that question, but uh, I'll no. pass on. <laughs> um, I guess it'll be my last question. Uh, international trade. Okay. Uh, the Obama administration is pro-free trade or mm -hmm. pro-freer trade. Um, the consensus among Democrats, uh, the rank and file, is more complicated. You might want to argue that, in fact, on balance, Democrats are not enthusiastic about free trade. We have a new trade agreement in the works, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We also have another trade agreement being negotiated uh, between the EU and the United States. Is free trade good for the United States, and do you support uh, the further development of free trade deals? Well, let's unpack the question. So first of all, trade is vital to economies. There's no question. And this 10th district in particular very much depends on a trade economy. It's important to our country, and it's important locally. That being said, back to our earlier question about jobs leaving and so forth, that's one piece of the question in terms of preserving jobs and making sure that they stay here. In terms of the TPP itself, uh, there were a number of issues that came up with the TPP. Most of them were hearsay because it was hard to get a glimpse at the TPP as someone who wasn't a member of Congress at the time. Uh, but in terms of the whole fast-tracking piece of things, it didn't give us the opportunity to speak out against concerns that we might have had in terms of currency manipulation, human rights and labor, um, protection of intellectual property with pharmaceutical drugs, protection of foods, making sure that foods are safe coming into our country. There are a number of pieces, environmental issues, number of pieces that were sort of problematic with the TPP that nobody was able to speak on uh, because of the fast-tracking situation. So on one hand, yes, free trade's important. We need to be able to have an opportunity to sell goods and to trade goods and so, and so on, but we also need to make sure that um, our American values are protected. So it's likely that this trade agreement will come before Congress uh, sometime this year. Mm -hmm. um, neither you or Mr. Schneider will be a member of Congress this year. But let's assume you are that member, speaking right. hypothetically. Okay. Congress has two choices mm -hmm. under fast track. Either accept the deal as is or reject the deal as is. How would you vote? I got to read the deal, man. Okay. <laughs> I'll wait for the answer then. <laughs> so uh, District 10 has a significant population of immigrants, and not all of these immigrants are in the United States legally. Mm -hmm. um, many came to the United States as children with their parents and are here illegally. So do you see a path to citizenship for immigrants uh, who don't have legal status, and what would that look like? Absolutely. So we know under both DACA and DAPA, if DAPA does get approved at the Supreme Court, that there are, are very real ways that children who are here, who are part of our community, who are in our schools, um, are able to stay and, and continue on with their lives without being in fear and without living in the shadows. Uh, similarly for their parents under DAPA. One of the things that I did as a mayor, we mentioned earlier, was create a legal aid clinic. And the call for that clinic came for three areas. One was um, landlord-tenant issues, one was in the area of domestic abuse and violence, and the third was to help our immigrant population on their path to citizenship, recognizing that they are part of our community. This is a country of immigrants. We all are the beneficiaries of all of these wonderful cultures that have come together. And I think it's important for us to recognize that these are parts of our community, these are members of our community who need to be able to get on with their lives, go to college, 
become part of the economy. Their parents are already part of the economy. I think it's important for us to move forward and, and, and deal with uh, the fact that they are here and give them the opportunity to live their lives. Republicans are worried, though, that if we do such a policy that that rewards illegal behavior and encourages more illegal immigration. How do you answer that? Our borders are, are tight, and you know, if they want to take more steps to, to tighten the borders, I think that's another approach. People obviously recognize everybody can't come in, uh, but at the end of the day, you have a number of people who are here who are part of the community. They're in limbo, and it's a ridiculous way to make people live going forward. I think there's a balance. We know this about public policy. It's always about a balance, and in this case, that balance needs to be adjusted and addressed so that people can move towards citizenship and get on with their lives. So do we have time for another question, or shall we pass? Should we break it open to the crowd? Right, one more. Okay. Great. Move it along. <laughs> Lay it on me, This is my last question, so this is, this is it. Let's make it good. Yeah, okay. Uh, American exceptionalism is the idea that the United States has a unique mission to promote, to promote democracy and freedom globally. And this notion, uh, according to those who advocate it, grants the United States superiority over other countries. The conclusion, therefore, follows that America is, in effect, in a league of its own. Namely, because of its great responsibilities and its great missions, that the United States ought not to be bound by the same standards as other countries. Is the United States exceptional? If so, how is it exceptional? And do we have to play by the same rules as others, or do we get a little bit of wiggle room? That is a wild question. Thank you. <laughs> I love our country. Uh, we love our country. It's a special place. It, it recognizes individuality, and it rewards creativity. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's interesting. We had a talk at uh, Stevenson High School last week and we were talking about the, the Bill of Rights and so on. Uh, so are we exceptional? I, I believe that as a, a place for individuality and, and growth, yes, we are. Do we go impose that on other countries? I think that's not what we should be doing at all. I think uh, we uh, provide necessary um, resources for things that can benefit human rights, absolutely, but to start imposing our way on other countries, and stop me if I'm getting the question wrong, but if we impose, you know, imposing our views on other countries is, is very egotistical of us and, and probably not something that I would support. Thank you. into the second part of the program. I want to thank Professors Maroney and Marquardt for that. I want to introduce the, the next portion. So there are a few guidelines for what's going to happen next. This is the audience question portion. Is that guy uh, supposed to be taping? Oh, yeah, please, no taping. Sorry. Yep. Photo, okay. <laughs> Photos. Um, I'm going to move through the audience with the microphone. You can raise your hand if you have a question. I'm not going to get to everyone, but I'm going to attempt to kind of go back and forth. I'm going to hold the microphone out to you. Do not try to take the microphone from me. That, somebody did that last week. We had a big wrestling match. It was, no, I'm kidding, but please don't do that, okay? You need to limit your questions to no more than 30 seconds. I'm going to time you, and some of you who were here last time know that I'm just going to stop you at 30 seconds, and then you're going to say, can I continue? And I'm going to say, no, we have to move on. It's going to get mildly uncomfortable, and then I'm going to crack a joke, and then I'm going to go on to the next person. You need to state your name and where you live, too. We're live streaming the event, and we want to make sure that if you're from a particular portion of the district, you get to say that out loud. You have to ask a question rather than making a kind of filibustering statement. 
And uh, I'm an academic, so I'm used to people making statements that are pretending to be questions. So we're going to ask you to ask a question. And it could be short. Some people just use two or three seconds. But you have up to your 30 seconds. And then the final thing is I'm going to ask you to respect the statement that I read at the start, which I'm going to read one more time now, just to remind you. We ask that you be respectful of our candidates, their time, and the mission of Lake Forest College. It says in part, again, we encourage students to read critically, reason analytically, communicate persuasively, and above all, to think for themselves. As audience members, we may not always like what we hear, and we are free to disagree. But we hold ourselves to high standards of ethical communication. We thank our guests tonight for their help in further modeling those behaviors for our students and for those watching at home. So now we're going to do it. Raise your hand if you have a question. Hi, I'm Jim Futransky. I'm from Libertyville. Do you support, that's a question, President Obama's 21st century clean transportation plan, which imposes a $10 per barrel tax on oil and uses the proceeds to develop clean, low-carbon infrastructure and research in low-carbon technologies. You like, like two seconds left, it was perfect. Um, this is, nobody really likes to say I like to raise taxes, but this is the time with oil prices being as low as they are for us to have the opportunity to raise revenue, not only for clean energy and, and low emission transit, but also, I think, to move forward and to put some money in reserve or for use for developing other infrastructure related to transportation and transit. Okay, we're gonna to go to the next question. Yes, uh, thank you for being here tonight. Uh, my name is Tom Nowak, and I'm an unincorporated Libertyville Township. Uh, I also have a uh, climate-related question. Okay. Is uh, realizing that you're going to have to work across the aisle, would you support a, a carbon fee and dividend, a revenue neutral bill? that would take the fee and return it to American taxpayers so it would not grow the uh, size of government and possibly attract Republican support and be, part, be truly nonpartisan? Let me start by saying I am currently in a nonpartisan position and have been for seven years. So working across the aisle is basically what I've been doing for the last seven years across the political spectrum. In terms of having a revenue neutral, you know, on one hand, that's very strong for business. On the other hand, I think there is so much need at this point to diminish the impact that greenhouse gases has had that I'm not quite sure that I can land at a revenue neutral um, answer. I think we need those revenues to grow our renewable energy. I think we need those revenues to diminish the impact of greenhouse gases. And again, when I talk, in particular, I am thinking of Waukegan and Zion in North Chicago and the impacts that pollution have had on those communities. It's been devastating to them. There's some very real need there to clean those cities up and to make them viable again. And so that's where I'm coming from. Can't take the microphone. <laughs> um, it couldn't have been easy to come to your position on Iran. Um, how did you arrive at your position on Iran, and why did you um, stand up and take that position? Um, I spent a lot of time researching. I spent a lot of time talking to people who were in the position of making that decision. I talked to people who would be directly impacted by it in Israel. Um, and it was difficult because 
I'm a Jewish woman. I'm the mayor of probably the biggest Jewish population in the 10th district. I was getting a lot of input from my constituents, more so on the no side than on the yes side at the beginning. And at the end of the day, to me, the option was we had to first try diplomacy, leave all options on the table without a question. And again, distrust and verify all the way. But to me, that was the option that made the most sense. And so time will bear out, but going from a one to two month breakout to anything longer to me was a gain. Gathering intelligence information also was a gain. And um, I, I think people who know me as a mayor know that I don't always take the easy way out. Um, you've got to do the gut check and say which one really makes the most sense. And to me, it made the most sense. Okay, we're back over here for the next question. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Guscott Mueller. I live in Lake Forest. Uh, Mayor Rotering, you made reference to your successful efforts to take on the NRA as mayor of Highland Park. Uh, given those efforts, uh, in your opinion, what steps should the federal government take to reduce gun violence? Thank you. Thank you. Um, there are a slew of things that the federal government should do, and they need to find the courage to do it. This is the time for this conversation to come back to a common sense point. I think we're way off in the extreme at the moment, and the vast majority of people in this country have had enough. And so to talk about universal background checks and put them in place, to talk about dealing with the illegal trafficking of guns on our streets and closing down those bad apple dealers and enforcing the laws that stop this trafficking once and for all, uh, to provide additional resources for mental health so that people who aren't well at least have the ability to gain the care that they need. Um, and then again, to have an assault weapons ban, to me, makes total sense. These are weapons of war. There really is no need for them to be in our communities. So we need to find the spine. We need to stand up to the NRA. And we need to say it's time to get our country back and to get our streets back. Hi, I'm Kathy Dorman. I live in Lake Forest. I've been hearing different things. What's the actual cleanup status of the three Superfund sites in Waukegan? Is there still EPA money for that? Are they mitigated completely? They're not. They're not, and there are issues dealing with um, the coal ash portion coming out of the coal plant, but they're not completely mitigated. And the unfortunate thing is, you have a congressman right now who claims to be pro-environment, but is doing everything in his power to stop those resources from coming and finishing the job. It hasn't been done. It needs to be taken to completion. They need an advocate who stands up and says, this job got started, it now needs to be completed, and it hasn't been completed. Okay, and we're over here in the stands. Mary Fran Troja, Waukegan. Um, you mentioned the hotspots, you mentioned Waukegan. Right. Would you consider authoring um, national legislation to support transition planning? between hotspot communities and the owners of uh, coal-powered energy plants. So talk to me more, a little bit more. I know that we, you know, the coal power plant up in Waukegan has been polluting the water, it's been polluting the air. We know that the national average of people with asthma is one in 10, and in, in Waukegan it's one in three. Um, and so help me a little bit more understand what your question is. My question is, would you support legislation, would you consider authoring legislation to require um, transition planning between 
the community and the uh, coal power plants all over the country, including Waukegan. So would that involve costs to the municipality? Would, would it just be a matter of providing the resources to help with the decommissioning and to help with the cleanup and to help with potentially rebuilding and using that land for a renewable energy source as opposed to a polluting energy source? Is that, that sounds, absolutely. Okay, next question. Yep. Uh, my name is uh, George Williams. I'm from Highland Park. And uh, income inequality has been talked about by both the Republicans and the uh, Democrats here in this uh, season. And uh, so I was just kind of wondering uh, where you might stand in regard to, like, capital gains taxes. Uh, would you keep the current uh, rate at 20 percent, or would you tax capital gains as ordinary income, or would you do something else? So. Let's talk about the tax code in general. I know your question is capital gains taxes, but let's talk about the tax code in general. So we all know that the income tax was created to provide revenues to run the country, basically. And it had certain policy incentives that helped develop businesses, maybe help people incentivize to buy a home. And then somewhere along the way, it got crazy with special interests and, and deductions and loopholes. And now you need a lot of money and a great advisor to get you through it and to, to have this disadvantage that so few of us have. Um, to me, the issue with capital gains, you got to look at the incentive again. Are you trying to get people to invest in capital? Are you trying to get people to work with uh, buying stock and investing in companies? And how much of that is inflation versus a true gain? We could talk about carried interest. There's an opportunity. That, to me, is a place where I think you need to be taxing as income and not as a capital gain. Um, so I think there's a lot of reform that needs to come with the tax code, starting with simplifying it and starting with providing the right incentives again and, and taking out all of these crazy special interest loopholes and, and exceptions. I'm John, I'm a senior at Lake Forest College. I also live in the tiny little bit of Mount Prospect that lies in the district. Wonderful. Uh, since 1964, youth voter participation rates have dropped from about 51% down to 38%. Right. And in off-presidential years, it actually has declined to about 20%. Right. Do you have any proposals on how to address this rather drastic decline in youth voting rates? Uh, great social media campaign. No, I, you know, it's important for students to recognize how important their voices are. It's something that to me has been a passion. I've created advocacy programs for students my entire time in public service, uh, starting with environmental advocacy. And now I have high school students on my commissions in the city because I value their voices and their participation in the process. Um, students need to recognize the vital importance of their voices. You know, in, in certain countries, uh, voting is mandatory. You get the day off. I think we need to take down the barriers. We're working in that direction, make it easier for people to vote. And at the end of the day, hopefully get a candidate that kids can get excited about and join the campaign or fired up. We saw this in 2008. We need to have a process that brings back trust to people. And right now, people are very cynical about our political process, whether it's the money, whether it's the gerrymandering, whatever it is, people feel like, what difference does it make? That's one of the reasons why I'm running for Congress. I've talked to people now for 13 months on the phone about the federal issues that are important to them. And we've had really great conversations. But at the end of the day, they say, what difference does it make? Nothing's getting done in Washington. So I think it's almost a matter of bringing back trust 
via the system, that's going to take a lot of work, but also giving kids that sense early on in their lives, when they're in high school, when they're in the third grade, that their voices matter and that they need to be part of the process. Uh, Nancy, I think you'll be great for Congress. I'm looking forward to your uh, success. Uh, Flo from Highland Park, and I have a key question about this incident in uh, Flint, Michigan. What legislation, what would you do as a mother, you know, as, as an a, a attorney, what, what would you do to escalate the solution and uh, get these people back to normalcy, right. as well as preventing this Zika virus thing from spreading throughout the United States? Because Brazil, is more issues in Brazil than I know, because I have people there they're right. telling me there are bigger issues than what they're reporting. Right. Okay. Right. The, the fish are dying. There's a big incident of pollution. Oh, that's, going that's on. thirty. So, <laughs> so we got to get. I got the gist. <laughs> to me, uh, infrastructure has always been a priority as a councilman, as a mayor. I've made it one of my priorities. We've increased our investment because we know that infrastructure not only impacts bridges and roads and so forth, but it's part of public health. It's part of public safety. It's incumbent upon your elected officials to take their, their oath of office seriously and recognize that it's their duty to protect your public health and your public safety. So so to me, it was criminal that they chose to cut costs and not deal with what obviously was a problem. I think it was criminal that they didn't recognize or admit to these problems for years. And I think it's a shame that the Republican-controlled Congress said we're not going to give the extra money that was asked for as an emergency to help fix this problem. Um, you need to have people who understand on the ground what the impacts of their decisions are. It's not up here, it's down here. I've been working in the trenches now for seven years. I think that's one of the reasons why people like having mayors in Congress, is they understand the day-to-day -day issues and how they're impacted, and even if you're making policy at the national level, what that means to people in their day-to-day -day lives. Okay, and we're over here for the next question. Hi, I'm Hannah, I go to Stevenson, um, and I was wondering if you support the Highland Park School referendum. <laughs> All right, Davis, was that a plant? No. <laughs> Let's, let me put it to you this way. I haven't come up with a conclusion yet because we continue to get new information uh, from the district. And one of the best parts about being a mayor is having the opportunity to talk to constituents to hear what's on their minds. So let me give you kind of two pieces of where I'm coming from. One, obviously supporting education is, has to be a priority. It's a critical foundation for our children, uh, for those who are in, in difficult situations, it's a path out of poverty, and you need to make sure that your schools are where they need to be in terms of meeting the needs of today's students. Okay, full admission. I was in the public school system in Highland Park in the 60s and 70s. The buildings haven't changed that much. I can tell you the way those kids are learning has changed drastically. I'm still unpacking where we are with this referendum. It's complex, and I appreciate the chance to hear different sides. Um, I have made working with my sister governments an absolute priority. So no matter what the decision is, we will work with the school district. Again, back to public health, public safety, making sure whatever needs to be done, whether it's this referendum or another plan, we're there working with them to make sure that it's as smooth a transition if it ends up going through. And if it doesn't go through, finding those efficiencies for them to continue to provide for the students. 
Um, but to me, I think it's important to recognize schools are why a lot of people move up here. And so you got to make sure your schools are, are current. As to that plan, jury's still out. Okay, next question. Uh, last week at the BJBE debate, you said that you're unsure of which candidate you'd be supporting for president, um, even though you'd already <clears throat> donated thousands of dollars to Secretary Clinton's campaign. Right. Uh, my question is, why did you initially pull out support from Secretary Clinton, and ultimately, why do you not support Senator Sanders? Okay, so, you know, these things are like a big pronouncement, and I wasn't, like, pronouncing at BJBE, but I am happy to say that I am supporting Hillary. That being said, I love what Bernie's talking about. And I had a real opportunity um, a few days ago. Somebody said, what is your vision for the 10th? And I said, oh my gosh, you know, affordable childcare, transit, roads that are good and can reduce the congestion, uh, cleaning up the environmental issues, great opportunities for jobs, improved you know, wages, on and on and on. Those are all things that, that Bernie's been talking about. By the same token, I got a few issues with his approach on guns historically. I'm not sure that he's as strong on the foreign affairs. I mean, Jim and I had a great conversation up here, and I know that Hillary has tremendous experience. So that being said, I feel that she's the right person for the job. We need a leader. Uh, we need somebody who can make things move forward. But boy, hasn't this been a great conversation because it's really pulled it into a different direction and given us a whole lot of really important topics to talk about that I know she'll bring as a priority into office. Okay, we're in the back. Hi, I'm Alana <laughs> from Mundelein. So compared to your opponent, Brad Schneider, who has already had experience in this position, what makes you think that you're more qualified than him? <laughs> wow. Well, okay, where do we begin? Um, so seven years in elected office, answering to constituents on a day-to-day -day basis and making sure across the aisle in a bipartisan manner that their needs are being addressed and addressed transparently and clearly um, and appropriately. Um, he's a nice guy. But at the end of the day, when you look at what's come out of the two people, really, who have held the seat for the last few years, a lot of people don't know which one is in office right now. A lot of people can't really point to they got that done. And at the end of the day, I th believe that the 10th district is best served by somebody who brings a background in business, brings a background in law, brings a background in healthcare, has been an environmental advocate for decades, has been working on behalf of choice since the beginning of time, and who knows how to get things done, and who isn't afraid to stand up to the status quo. If you have, um, you know, an issue, and you want to be at the front of that issue, you don't make that change by playing it safe. You got to be willing to take that chance. And so, standing up to ComEd, standing up to the NRA, uh, taking on the tough decisions that really are necessary to bring change about, that's what I've done, and I would love the opportunity to do it in Congress. Hi, uh, my name Hi. is Bernie, here a student at Lake Forest, a communications student. And uh, you previously mentioned that this country is made out of immigrants. Um, given the recent events, according to the mainstream media opinion, is that um, immigrants coming to different countries could potentially represent a threat to the national security of the state. Right. My question is, do you think surveillance is an essential key to reduce the threat of national security? If you do, could you please explain why? And if not, could you please explain how do you plan to reduce that? Okay, there was a lot in that question. That was a good one, thank you. <laughs> so, in terms of security, let's start with that. Protecting national security, of course, has to be an absolute priority. You have to make sure that people are kept safe. 
That being said, let's talk about the dark web, for example. You know, there are things that are going on, and not, for those of you who don't know what the dark web is, that's, you know, areas where surveillance kind of can't get in at the moment, um, but they're working on it. They're partnering with private businesses and so on. Um, we need to, this is, this is in essence cyber warfare, unfortunately. And so we need to stay one step ahead of those who wish to do us harm and uh, provide, have some sort of partnership with private businesses to keep an eye on what's going on. Now, do I think the NSA has gone a little too far? I do. I think that, you know, they don't need to know how many times I call my kid and they probably don't care. But I feel like there's somewhere between where we are and not doing anything, which I would never support. I think there's a middle ground that we need to reach. Back to the earlier part, you know, policy is all about balance. You got to do the right thing, but you want to protect people's liberties as well. At this point, I feel like we need to uh, be as aggressive as we can, but be as reflective of those liberties as we can as well. All right, we're in the middle aisle for the next question. My name is Mark. Hi, Mark. I'm from Highland Park, as you know. I do. Um, it's been reported recently that your campaign has accepted a donation from a Republican who received a tax rebate of $8.5 million from the city. Mm -hmm. I don't remember how recently. Please explain that, because surely it can't be what it looks like. It isn't. And so let me explain it. Most cities have incentives to keep businesses uh, because they want to be able to derive revenue from sales tax. If you look at Lake Bluff, if you look at Highland Park, if you look at Northbrook, if you look at Chicago, there are all kinds of different sorts of incentives to keep businesses local. So in this case, it was a sales tax rebate that was put in place, I believe, before I even got on the city council. And then it may have been re-upped again uh, because he was talking about moving to Northbrook. We derive a significant portion of our revenue from sales tax. We diminish the burden on our residents' property taxes by having a very strong, vibrant economy in Highland Park. And so to that end, he got that rebate, just as a number of other businesses in town have gotten that rebate. Now... You ask about his contribution. Back to my working with people across both sides of the aisle. I've worked with Republicans. I've worked with Democrats. I've worked with independents. It's, it's my pride to be able to say that I work across the aisle. He is working with us on addressing the needs of our Latino population and domestic abuse victims um, at the Legal Aid Clinic. And we're also in the process of putting together a community center in the center of the community to take care of the needs of those who are less served in, in our area. So that's one of his priorities. I'm proud to have his support. I think it's hilarious that this guy's supporting me, but it's also a point of pride that I can have support from all ends of the political spectrum. Uh, Roger Barron from Northbrook. As an indication of your primary interest, if you were elected, which committee would you like, most like to be serving on? Do I only have to pick one? Oh. Okay. Pick, one. <laughs> pick your dream committee. Pick my dream committee. Uh, for starters, I would love to be involved with transportation and infrastructure. I know that that's vitally important to this district in particular, but it's also important to our economy overall. Our country has been woefully underserved in terms of investment in infrastructure. I'd like to be part of that. I'd obviously like to be part of healthcare because that's been my passion for decades. Um, and I'd like to be involved with um, education as well because I feel that that's vitally important and it's something that has slipped in the past few years and needs a champion, needs somebody who really feels strongly about it, especially impacting this district. Next question. All right, so my name is Nathan and I live in Lake Bluff. 
Uh, it's very important that our country respond to climate change and transition in renewable energy, which we've discussed. Mm -hmm. uh, however, much of my family works in the coal mines of northern West Virginia, where the economy will suffer most from this change. So what can Congress do to help ease this transition for these communities? Here's the great news, and this is fascinating to me. So we know that there are more jobs now in the renewable energy sector than in all of the fossil fuel-derived sectors. And so to move into having better renewable energy sources and have those jobs available and work through that transition that we were talking about earlier, I think is a great way to move us away from those jobs into similarly related energy-driven jobs, but ones that aren't polluting our planet. We have time for one more question. I'm going to take it from over here, firsthand that I see. It's this person <laughs> up front. You're the closer. Oh, wow. I'm Adrienne Kirschbaum. I'm from Highland Park, the city with the best mayor. Um, what women's issues would you tackle first? Holy cow. Um, women's issues, I have to say generally women's issues are family issues, but obviously protecting a woman's right to choose uh, is, has been a passion of mine forever. And I think the approach uh, that this Congress has been taking to nibble away at the edges and to, to diminish it by a thousand cuts is reprehensible. They have no business being in that conversation. Uh, so working to preserve a woman's right to choose obviously would be one. Uh, equal pay is another obvious one and it's uh, ludicrous that we're still having this conversation this many years later that women aren't receiving equal pay for equal work. Um, but let's get started. I mean, affordable childcare, how about that? And making sure that people are able to take paid leave. I mean, nobody should have to choose between staying home with a sick kid or leaving that kid alone to go get their day's wages. That's horrible. So I think those are the beginnings, but anything that impacts women, frankly, impacts families, and so those would be my priorities. Thank you. Now, Mayor Rotering, before we wrap up, you have the opportunity, if you wish, to make a short closing statement of no more than two minutes. <laughs> and as you get closer to two minutes, I'm going to kind of get closer to you. And then we're going to go to the reception. Would you like to do that? I have four teenage kids. I know how to make a point really quickly. Okay. <laughs> uh, so as you can tell, I have a passion. I have a passion for being an advocate. I have a passion for speaking out for those who don't have a voice. I love to teach children to have that advocacy skill. And to me, this 10th district is a real opportunity for there to be a champion and not just an ally. We have very real needs here that need to be addressed, that need to be addressed immediately, that can't wait longer. We all, I'm going to guess, most of you in this room have been involved with campaigns for a while. And we know how much money they take. And we know how much time they take. And the blood and the sweat and the tears and the emotion. At the end of the day, we're still fighting for this 10th seat to be held by a, by a Democrat. And so to me, this is an opportunity for us to not only grab this seat in 2016, but hold it in 2018. With the right candidate, we can get that margin of votes. We can win this seat. We can hold this seat. I appreciate your listening to me tonight. I would love to have all of your support. Uh, we'd love to have you volunteer in the campaign. March 15th is election day. Early voting starts February 29th. I'm Nancy Rotering. I'm running for United States Congress, and I'd love your vote. Thanks for your time tonight. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thanks to Mayor Rotering, our questioners.
couple things. The reception is right outside this door across the breezeway. We invite you all to join us for cookies and hot chocolate. I know many of you want to speak with the mayor, but we're going to ask that you go over to the reception to do that, and we don't crowd her here, but we'll be moving over there right now. Thank you again for coming tonight.